I've actually got a really interesting message today, and I'm not too sure. I mean, someone's been praying something pretty specific. So, um, so God's given me some quite random things to say. And I've kind of, um, I've kind of named, it, named the message today, um, Counting the Cost. Because I don't know about you, but there's actually a cost to following Jesus. Like, there's a, there's a cost to it. And some of the costs that happen are good, are they, and some of the costs, sometimes there's a bit of, uh, a bit of pain attached to it. Okay, as we, as we give up things that, you know, um, that used to give us pleasure, give up things that used to uh, make us feel good, but didn't necessarily have the best consequences for us. All right? Now, I don't know about you, but my life would be very, very different if I didn't follow Jesus. It would be so different. If I was just the, re- the result or the, um, the result of the choices that I'd made up until that point, I was the result of the choices that my parents had made on my behalf as to where we lived, as to what, um, as to what sort of sports I was able to play, as to you know, what subjects, what school that I went to. Okay? Um, if I chose not to follow Jesus, if I didn't make the decision at the age of 16 to once and for all go, yep, definitely, Jesus is the one for me. Um, I'd have a different job. Um, I'd, have, I'd have a very different life partner. Okay. Um, where I live would be completely different. If, if God brought us to Cromwell's, the only reason that we're here today is because God brought us here. If I wasn't listening to that voice, then I don't know where I would be today. Um, probably about 180 kgs sitting on, in front of the television eating a bucket of fried chicken and playing Xbox. Okay, instead I'm 130 kgs, I eat KFC when I can. I still play Xbox, but there's other things that I do as well. So, you know. <laughs> See, the thing is, is that when you decide to follow Jesus, you're placed, you're positioned, you're connected with people, you're, giving a, you're given a purpose, you're given an identity, but there's also stuff that you need to give up. Um, so, this is the thought that I have today. There's a cost to following Jesus. And sometimes some of us, um, have you ever bought something and then just kind of um, pretended that you hadn't bought it? Like the, that there was never that money in the bank account? You never actually counted the cost of purchasing that thing? It's like, oops, shouldn't have done that. Well, that's okay. I've only ever had X amount of dollars in the bank account anyway. So that's, you know, you, you live in denial. The great thing is, is that when it comes to Christianity, it's actually absolutely okay to count the cost. In fact, we're, we're encouraged to. Um, so there was three things that I wanted to talk about today. So the three costs, like, obviously there's other things that as well, and I'm sure other people have preached them in much better ways, but the three things that I wanted to talk about today was one of the costs is that we need to die to self. Um, there's a financial cost to following Jesus. I don't know if you've known this or not, but there's definitely a financial cost to following Jesus. And then third, there's this thing which is amazing, and if you get your head around it, it's so good, and it's, it's the whole idea of an opportunity cost, which is actually kind of an economics term, and I'll get into that, but um, it, it, it's huge. It's so good. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had times on my Christian journey where I've had those moments of doubt, where I've gone, flip, I'm, I'm not actually, you know, um, uh, your third night out going to a meeting, hanging out with young people that don't really want to hang out with you. And you sort of go, oh man, is, is this actually, is this worth it? So I think that's why it's okay to count the cost. It's okay to weigh up the pros and the cons and go, oh, actually, this life that we now live is so much richer, so much deeper, so much more of a blessing that we could have ever hoped or dreamed or imagined. Because the thing is, is that at some stage, if you don't count the cost, you don't see the value in the life that you're living now. 
You just take it for granted. You're in danger of taking stuff for granted. So Luke um, 14 says, it's Jesus talking about the cost of being a disciple. All right, And I thought this was a good place to start because Jesus is being purposely provocative. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus doesn't always just give you the nice self. Every now and again, he pokes you with a stick just to see what you do. So Luke 14, verse 25 to 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to him, they said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Well, that's awesome. So, I mean, after church tonight, uh, today, if you guys could just uh, ring your significant others and go, hey, look. <laughs> no, 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 please don't do that. <laughs> Jesus is being purposely provocative. He's being pro- on purpose. He's, wanting, he's telling us that you need to be willing to give up whatever it is that you hold dear to you. You need to be willing to give up whatever you value. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't know what your cross is, but each of us, we have a cross that's different. It's the payment that we've made in order to walk this journey that we're journeying on. And then it goes into these two, these two parables. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wouldn't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was unable to finish. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had a few false starts in my Christianity. I've had times where I've um, built a really good foundation and I'm going really well, and then suddenly I realize, oh man, it's, it's not actually worth it. And it's so funny that that's when the critics come out and point out, hey, you said you're a faith person and now you're doing this on a Saturday night. You said you're a faith person, now you're cavorting with these people. I don't know what cavorting is, but it doesn't sound particularly good. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be a cavorter. <laughs> or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Well, that's what we do as Christians. When we, when we choose to align with God, we're actually allying ourselves against darkness. Suppose the king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. That sounds great. Thank you very much. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. It's one of the things that Jesus does at the end of parables that he really wants people to listen to. (laughs) Or listen up. I I find that really interesting that we need to be willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. And you see the disciples having to, when Jesus called the disciples to say, follow me, at that point they were literally um, having, to, having to walk away from their livelihood, their families in some cases. I mean, it's, it's a crazy thought to be willing to give up that. So it's an, inter- it's an interesting thing when it comes to counting the cost. See, um, Paul had it right when he said in Philippians 3.8, what is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So one of the things, um, Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So it's really interesting. There's this kind of this paradox when it comes to Christianity that quite often we're asked, we're to, you know, we're asked to be willing to give up or to lose everything. And then at the same time, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but you gain everything as well. How weird is it is that you give up everything and then you gain everything as well? I, I don't think I've ever lost out on a deal with Jesus. Like, not, not ever. I might have heard at the time. The price that I felt that I was paying at the time might have been, oh man, Lord, this is too much. I'm not talking financial. It could be um, an aspect of my life that I, I loved. It could have been something which had given me comfort. It could have been something which is, had given me joy. But as I'm willing to lay that down, whether it's immediately or whether it's further down the track, there's always, there's always an exchange that takes place, and it's a beautiful exchange. You can't outgive God. You can't, um, you can't sacrifice more than God sacrificed for you. So the first thing that God asks us to do is that we get us to die to self. And that's not just necessarily the negative aspects of ourselves. That could be something that we could see as quite positive. Okay, for some of us, it, for, for a time, it could be our confidence or our arrogance and ask us to walk, walk in humility for a time. It might mean that we have to give up guilt, give up shame, give up regret, give up our right to embarrassment, our right to feel embarrassed. I don't know about you, but embarrassment's probably one of the hardest things for me to give up. Like, I feel embarrassed sometimes when God asks me to do something. It's quite often my own embarrassment that stops me from doing I don't want to be embarrassed. John G. Lake used to, anyway, John G. Lake, who's a great guy, used to talk about, you know, if there was ever, um, if there was ever a time where God asked me to... Um, believe something that I couldn't see with my senses, I would choose to believe God and make full of my senses, which is really, I really like that thought. Live this life of faith. See, embarrassment, our old identity, the old man, the old friends. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels quite good to put the old man back on. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, um, I'm, I'm hilariously funny when I'm inappropriate. I am hilariously funny. <laughs> the best jokes in my head are all R16 to R18 rated. Okay, I look a little bit like Seth Rogen. I could speak like Seth Rogen. But actually, that's not glorifying to God. So one of the things that I, that I have to do, one of the things that God's working me through is, is being able to use my humour for good rather than for evil. <laughs> But every now and again, if I'm going through a bad time, I've got this dark humour. So when my, when, um, when my parents died, man, I told the worst jokes. <laughs> but it was just putting the old, the old man on again. See, the thing is, is that, I don't know if you know or not, but have you ever noticed that, you know, you, sometimes we sort of think that the way that we used to be looks really good, but then when we put it on, it kind of stinks. Yeah. It's gone out of date, it's out of style, it smells, it's decomposing. It's that John, um, you know the John Cougar and Mellencamp song, you know, it hurts so good. Come on, baby, make it hurt so good. Like sometimes we, you know, oh man, if, uh, if I'm just allowed to feel shame for 10 minutes, it's like itching a scratch that you, you know what I mean? Oh, I feel, I feel quite shameful when, 
Yeah, no, that's quite good to feel that shame, actually. That, uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, now I've got a match. <laughs> so I guess one of the things, if you have to die to self, what is God asking you to give up? Um, I think as John Bevere often says, you have to give up to go up. You know, quite often what's happening is when you get... Um, there's this picture in the Bible, and I've actually I haven't written it down. I don't know where this has come from. There's this picture in the Bible where it talks about the camel going through the eye of a needle. Um, so back in the day, in Jerusalem days, there was um, there was all these different gates that you could go through, and one of the gates that you could go through was literally called the needle. Okay, and what would happen when you go through? It was called the needle. So when you go through the eye of a needle, what happened is that the the, the beasts of burden had to literally take everything off. Then they'd be able to go through the eye of the needle and then they'd have to put all their stuff back on again. I believe that as we go on with God, one of the things that will happen is that we're progressively going to get asked to go through the eye of the needle more and more and more. The stuff that we're going to have to give up in order to go to the places that God wants us to go. Sometimes we have to give up the good to go for the great. I've got a, one of the things that I felt to share today, and it's a, it's a weird thing to share... Hang on. Um, a friend of mine from up in Rotorua, um, she's going to church today, and this is what she this is what she um, put on her post this morning. I was like, man, you've got to read this out. And so I am. So that's, I don't know if it fits with what we're talking about or not. But um, One of the things and one of the reasons that I was asked to preach on some of this stuff, um, the, again, um, again and again this week, I've been hearing the word, um, count the cost and sleep or awake. Um, sleeper awake is the other thing, and there's heaps of, anyway, it's a message for another time, but sleeper awake. So this is, I fully believe that this is intended to wake someone up. Quit living life as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the raw, set God-sized goals, pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems, become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past, start creating the future. That's the old man and the new man. Face your fears, fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the mane and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges, blaze new trails. Live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshipping what's right with God. Dare to fail. Dare to be different. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. Chase the line. That's by a guy called Mark Batterson. Okay. It's a pretty awesome challenge that not only are we called to die to self, but we need to run towards the thing that God's calling us to run for. Sometimes, have you ever, um, have you ever seen those movies, the war movies, and you see the enemy coming, and people stop in their tracks. I feel sometimes that um, sometimes we see what's coming, we see our obstacles, we see the barriers running towards us, and God's calling us to charge towards them, to face it with courage. And we, we stutter and we, we halt every now and again, and fear grips our hearts. When actually God's not called us to be, um, God's, not, God's not called us to be um, 
lap dogs and kitty cats. He's called us to be lions. He's called us to be brave. He's called us to roar. He's called us to face adversity. He's called us to be courageous. He's called us to be bold. And often what that'll mean is that we have to die to that part of ourself that would cower when God tells us to run. Um, the second thing that I wanted to talk about was, so die to self, that was one. The second thing I wanted to talk about was financial cost. See, when we decide to follow Jesus, God actually calls us to look at finances differently. Okay? So we've got a world at the moment that um, the amassing of consumer goods, like if you've, got, if you've got a slightly better boat than the Joneses down the road. Have you seen the Joneses boat? It's amazing. <laughs> by the, no. <laughs> Where, where it's the amassing of things. Um, one of the things that um, Paul talks to Timothy about quite often is, and Timothy, remember, Timothy was the the get up and the go getter. He was one of the he was one of the young lions of this new generation of people coming through, helping to establish churches, um, all of that stuff. But at the end of um, at the end of First um, Timothy, Paul says to him. Um, oh, the way that we see wealth takes a hit, there's a paradigm shift that needs to take place. So this is, this is Paul's advice to Timothy. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. We need to look at differently at what wealth looks like as a Christian. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. I don't know about you, but one of the struggles for us in the past 18 months has been content with our, um, the resources that we have. Because the resources that we had in Invercargill were amazing. We had more than enough. We had an overflow. The resources that we have up here, even though they're similar resources, we're having to learn to be content. We're having to learn with, to, be, um, to be faithful in those things. But people who long to be rich... So there's nothing wrong with being rich. I believe... Um, one of the great churches, so uh, uh, North Point and Willow Creek, one of the big criticisms is that there's so many millionaires that go to those churches. Um, for um, North Point, which is um, Andy Stanley, he laughs and he says, well, they weren't millionaires when they first come to church. <laughs> People who long, so there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being, um, being well-resourced. There's nothing wrong with that. It's that attitude towards it that's sometimes the issue. Yeah, but People who long to be rich, it's not a... Christians aren't called to, into poverty. That's right. Remember, we're sons and daughters of the living king. We, we've got a dad who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Mm-hmm. All right? So I'm not saying to money, it's an attitude, okay? I need to make it really, really clear. Yeah. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself, the love of money. Okay? And that's a huge shift. Um, of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I love that idea, pierced themselves with many many sorrows. If you're willing to do whatever it takes to amass wealth, then there's going to be a cost to your soul. So Paul's final instructions are, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness fight the good fight for the true faith hold tightly to the eternal life which god has called you which you have declared so well before many witnesses 
So the question that I got from all of that stuff was, what do we need to feed? Uh, what to feed? What do we need to flee today? And what virtues are pursuing? We need to put virtues above our amassing of resource or amassing of wealth. So as a church, that's true for us personally, and that's true for us as a church. If we ever become a church where we're amassing a great amount of wealth, then we'd need to ask the question, well, whose need are we not meeting if we're having this resource available to us? Mm -hmm. Then there's someone with need out there that as the church, we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Okay, our job is not to sit on a big pile. Our job is to actually steward the resources and the gifts that God's given us in a way that glorifies the kingdom and brings heaven to earth. That's That's true for us individually. That's true for us as a church. I wrote down in the the corner this morning, there's a difference in attitude between I worked hard for this and give us this day our daily bread. There's a difference between working hard for your money and God's God's the source of all our resource. There's a difference in attitude there. So um, just to finish off that 1 Timothy 6, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment, tell them to use their money to do good. <coughs> they should be rich in good words, uh, works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. I love that thought, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So the question that I have for you today is, what are you believing for and how big is your faith? So the last, um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about, so number one, if we're going to count the cost for following Jesus, we need to die to self. If we're going to count the cost for following Jesus, it's that financial cost. It's a financial cost. We need to see the way that we do finances differently. And then finally, there's an opportunity cost. As a result of choosing Jesus, there's a whole heap of other things that we didn't choose. As a result of following Jesus, as a result of going after the path that Jesus has set out for us, there's a whole heap of other things that we could have done, a whole heap of other pathways that we could have gone down, but we've chosen not to. There's an opportunity cost to following Jesus. You're now on a different path. Now, I don't know about you, but some of the old paths that I could have walked down would lead to destruction, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't still a choice that I could have made. And it would have felt good for quite a while. See, the opportunity, an opportunity cost leads you to hang out with crazy youth on a Friday night rather than drinking, going to the movies, or any other number of things. Your choice to follow Jesus and continue to follow Jesus will take you places that you wouldn't otherwise go. It'll quite often take you out of your comfort zone, take you out of where you're comfortable, take you out of where you feel safe, take you to places that you've never been before, potentially take you to places of darkness. Because if we're called to be light in the darkness, we have to go to places of darkness in order to be the light. So Ephesians 5, verse 15, says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So we all have opportunities. We all have doorways that we can walk through. And some doorways... Jesus is going to say yes to, and some doorways he might shut, even if we wanted to walk through them with all that heart. Um, there's been times in our lives, um, we, had, we had great friends um, shift up to Christchurch seven or eight years ago, and like, um, 
when we first come to when we first come to um, when we first come to Invercargill, we always decided that um, you know we'll go there until God tells us to go somewhere else. Like if He sends us somewhere else, we'll go. But there was this one particular set of friends that um, went up to Christchurch to um, take over a church, and um, and the, there was these opportunities in this doorway that was here. And, um, uh, and Jan and I, it was almost like a please send us, please send us. We want to go. We want to go. We want to go. We want to go. Um, because it was just it was just going to be so great for us. It, like a, a lot of our friends live up there now. Um, all of that, and um, and God said no. And the thing is, is that we could have walked through that doorway, and it would have been great. We would have, our lives would have been used for God in a really great way. Um, there's all kinds of opportunities that would be available up there, but that wasn't an opportunity that God mm-hmm. gave for us. If we'd chosen to walk through that doorway six or seven years ago, we wouldn't be sitting here with you guys now. We wouldn't be. Uh, we wouldn't be meeting week to week. Okay, it's at least partially your fault that we're here today. <laughs> just, just remember that at some stage or another, yeah, you you asked for this. <laughs> but you know what? We love it. We yes. love we love we love being here. We love we love you guys. Yeah, that's right. And so, if we'd said yes to an opportunity that was there, but that wasn't necessarily where God wanted us to go, we wouldn't be here now, hanging out with you guys, laughing all the time. Probably far too much for a church. Okay. Let's just calm down. <laughs> it's okay if God says no to opportunities that you see. It's okay for you to walk through doors and you suddenly realise that it's not a God opportunity and go, oh, look, I messed that up. I think it's actually better to walk through a door and it not be the right door than just always be fearful of, oh, flip, I'm not sure if this is God or not. Because it's that whole Hamilton, you know the Hamilton jet boats? So you've got the, you've got the boat and then on the back of a Hamilton jet, there's this massive big... Um, Jet. Oh, that's why it's a Hamilton jet. Okay, yeah. Very practical man, yeah. All right, I won't be working at Highlands anytime soon. Um, the really weird thing about a Hamilton jet is it has no turning capacity when it's without the accelerator, your foot on the accelerator. So if you take your foot off the accelerator, um, it gets less and less the ability to be able to turn left or right. And I believe that as Christians, we're the same as well. Like, quite often, God would, it's easier to move a moving Christian than it is to move a Christian that's sort of set in stone that's camped at the last um, the last place that they met God and just live there for a really long time I don't know about you but if you've ever come across Christians before that are still living at the place that they last met God like five or ten years ago and the way that you can sometimes tell is that they, that they might be stuck on a particular style of worship or they might be stuck on a particular way of praying or they might be stuck in meeting in a particular place or in a particular way um For me personally, I believe that it's, it's okay to make mistakes. Right. It's better for us to make mistakes that God can correct than be afraid of, of being afraid of doing something that might displease God. Uh, does that make sense? Is that, I don't know if that's... Like in the three years that Jesus hung out with the disciples, he spent 90% of the time telling them what they, could, what they were doing wrong. <laughs> Next time, don't do it this way. Don't cut off the guards here. That's a bad idea. Don't, um, you know. It's okay to be corrected. It's okay to um, to walk through opportunities. That, anyway, 
there's something there. I'm just not sure what it is. Um, so I just wanted to finish off. So this is this is the last thing. I um, again, this is this is not these are this isn't my words. This is actually a valedictorian speech of someone that's about to go out from um, a Christian university um, and into the rest of their lives. And the, and the way that he um, the way that he um, talks about opportunity cost is just so awesome. And uh, and I could come up I could like have pulled the three or four things out of it that I really liked and then pretended that they were mine. Oh, why didn't I do that? No. Um, <laughs> but actually, the way that this is put out is just so so well. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to read this. Um, after that, we're just going to put some music on. Um, probably that here now song. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put some music on. Um, I just think it's going to be a good opportunity for us to do some business with God. Okay? Um, I think in particular, the opportunity cost, this, this thing that I'm about to talk about, this was the thing that, um, this was the thing that really, um, I guess the Holy Spirit settled on. Um, and the thing, the thing that was over this opportunity cost thing was... Um, the picture that I had um, is like someone here that's got feet of stone and they want to walk, they want to go into the new season and the new thing that God has for them, but it's like um, it can't move. And they're not actually shaped in feet, so it goes to about here, and then it looks like ice, but it's stone, and it's like all around. So it's almost like you're completely stuck in the situation that you're in at the moment. But it's not... I think initially, um, it was your choice to be there. But over time, it's like it's stuck in stone. It's like being stuck in mud. And it's just got harder, harder, and it's petrified. So there's fear attached to it as well. So here we go. Here's opportunity cost, okay? So here's a valedictorian's address heard at a recent graduation. Dear friends, family, and my fellow graduates, we've learned a lot over the past years, haven't we? Between our friends and professors and everyone else who has crossed our paths, we've received so much teaching. Some of it has been long forgotten. Some will resurface at crucial points in the future, and some will stick with us for the rest of our lives. It was two years ago that I I was taught something that stuck with me and has already made a huge difference in my life. And I'd like to share, you, share it with you this morning. It was a dreary morning in economics class about the time in the semester when the newness is worn off but the end is still out of sight. I pulled out my laptop and began taking notes about the trade-offs people make in business and how we respond to incentives. And then I heard the definition of opportunity cost. Now, this is, this is the crux of it. Opportunity cost is the amount of one thing you are willing to give up in order to obtain something else. Opportunity cost is the amount of one thing you are willing to give up in order to obtain something else. For example, the cost of tuition is not just the amount of the checks that we send in, but is also the amount of money that we are not making at a full-time job while we're in school. On the other hand, the opportunity cost of not going to school could be working a $10 an hour job for the rest of our lives instead of getting an education and making more in the future. But there's far more to the, than dollars to the ideas of opportunity of cost. Each of our lives is a series of decisions in which we choose certain opportunities at the expense of others. We might need to choose whether we're going to sleep 
in at the expense of our... We might need to choose whether we're going to sleep in at the expense of our devotions, sit on social media when we have a chance to interact with real people, make and hoard plenty of money instead of sharing it with missions, or keep to ourselves when we have a chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God willing, we have a lifetime of opportunities spread out before us, chances to show the world who Christ is and what mercy can do in a life and why the gospel is crucial. You might have said the sinner's prayer when you were seven, but are you taking the opportunities God himself has put in your path? The opportunity cost of living for our own happiness alone is priceless because it could include the salvation of souls. Matthew 16.26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and then lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? As we walk out of this building into the real world today, what are you willing to give up for your own soul or for the soul next to you? Would you give up your life, your career? Would you trade in comfortable living if that was the cost of a soul? Your phone, an hour of free time. What is the opportunity cost of a soul? I don't know. I can't give you a dollar value or a set amount of time or a certain level of uncomfortableness and say, if you give this, a soul will be saved. You won't know until you reach heaven's gate if God, if God used opportunities you took to be used in his soul-saving work. Maybe the opportunity cost of a soul will be your life on the mission field. Maybe you'll be giving up a promotion in order to be home with your family. Maybe it will be making time for a person who no one else makes time for. Maybe it will be a smile and a word of encouragement. But whatever the, the God-glorifying opportunity is, I hope that with God's help, you take it. So my encouragement today is let's go out into the world and let's make the most of every opportunity this week. Let's say yes to the things that God says yes to. Let's be okay with the doors and the opportunities that he closes for us so that we can let go of the good and we can hold on to the great. So we're just going to put some music on. Um, there's probably two, two things today that I want you to ask God. God, is there something that I need to... Is there something about myself that I still need to die to? And are there opportunities that you're calling to me to right now? God bless. Have an awesome, awesome week. And um, let's just do some business with God now.